Tonight we um, have a guest with us, and I'm so excited about it. I'm so honored. Um, I want to introduce him real quick. His name is Pastor Hazen Stevens. He has come here. <laughs> he has come here, him and his daughter and sister-in-law. Did I guess that right? So we are so thankful that you guys are here with us tonight. Pastor Hazen is executive pastor of operations at Gate City Church, which is right outside of Atlanta. It's in Lawrenceville. Is that right? The address? Um, but they're right outside of Atlanta. Used to be affiliated, can I say it this way, with IHOP Atlanta? Okay. Um, he is also one of the original leaders of One Race Movement, which is uh, a really amazing organization focused on gospel-centered racial reconciliation and biblical justice. It's incredible work that God is doing through him and One Race Leadership Team. He is married to a South Carolina woman. Let's go. It's the <laughs> and he has four amazing children, um, three girls and one boy. Uh, I wanted to make mention of something else. Him and his wife started a podcast recently. And so if you're interested, it's called Presence Centered Life. You can find them on Instagram, Presence Centered Life. It's available on Apple and Spotify. They also have a website um, that you guys can visit as well. Uh, but I want you to know, I share all this with you because I really believe in him and the ministry that he's doing. And I think that these things will be a real gift to you. So whether it's looking up One Race Movement or whether it's looking up the podcast, I really do believe it can be a blessing to you and a gift to you. I'm not trying to hype up this man. Simply am sharing this with you so that you might tune in and can be blessed by the ministry through Pastor Hazen Stephen. Can you guys give him a warm welcome tonight? Thank you, Bunk. I don't know if you guys know, but you have an amazing young adult pastor. And I just got to meet Bunk's wife tonight for the first time. And I just want to say that I'm so grateful that, that we are becoming fast friends. So good. Could I ask a favor of my friends in the wings? If you don't mind, would you guys move to the center for me? I like to just lock my target in just right here. But that's going to help me because I'm going to feel like I'm trying to talk to you over there and talk to you over there, and it would just help me. And I make everybody do that. You can ask people at our home church, especially if the room is, like, unbalanced, too, if more people are on the right and left, I make people move because I guess I sli slightly have a little bit of OCD. And, uh, and so I like a nice balanced room. If we could actually have three more people move to the, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, and it would actually be three more moving to this side, but I'm not counting. Um, so I'm really glad to be here with you guys tonight. It is always fun to come back to my wife's hometown. She didn't get to come with me. She's with our three youngest kids, but I did bring my daughter and visited with my family. And so Atlanta is home. I've been a son of Atlanta my entire life. Born in Piedmont Hospital in Atlanta, Georgia. Do I have any Atlanta folks in the house? All right, one. Praise God. I'm glad you're here. ATL, ANTA. Uh, and so, so I love Atlanta, but the second place that I love after Atlanta, Georgia, is where my wife hails from, which is Columbia, South Carolina. And so it's fun to be here with you guys tonight. And my hope would be that this isn't that this isn't the last time, that this would just be the first of many times that we get to connect because I believe in investing in communities. 
and you guys are building a community. We drove, my wife, my daughter and I drove about three and a half hours to be here, left my wife and kids at home because I actually believe that you guys are building a community that carries a unique vision for the presence of God at the center of what you're doing. And I know that you're only a few months into this gathering happening once a month, but I could even sense just coming into the room that there's a hunger that's here, okay, that there are people that are individually hungry, that are, there's a desperation for God that's growing in people's hearts, and you guys are going to learn. There are people in this room that I know you know how to encounter God, but what I believe, if I could just give a word of encouragement right now, you're going to learn to encounter God together over this next year, and what you're going to discover is that as you learn to encounter God together, you're going to go deeper or faster than any one of you could have gone on your own. Because there's a biblical principle that where two or more are gathered in his name. Now we know Jesus will always be with us. He'll never leave us or forsake us individually, right? But when we gather two or three and we convene in his name, under the banner of his name, there's greater victory that comes. His presence is uniquely there in a different way. There's a breakthrough that comes. There's power of confessed sin within the relationship of the body of Christ. And as you guys are growing in your connection, your community, I believe you're creating a dwelling place for God in the spirit. And that you guys will not be individual vessels that carry the presence of God, but you'll be one vessel that carries the presence of God and stewards the presence of God right here in Columbia, South Carolina. And I just want to give you vision for that. I've been part of a house of prayer where we do 24-7 live worship and prayer. Sometimes it's, it's weak. Sometimes the fire on the altar is just a little flicker. But we've been doing, by the grace of God, 24-7 worship and prayer for the past 15 years unabated. We're coming up, I believe, on 16 years of night and day worship and prayer in February. And it's glory to God for that. It's, it's not because of anything that it, many times, if it were dependent on human effort, I truly believe it would have failed. But there's an assignment of God that weak people are saying yes to, and in that willing heart, the grace of God comes, and I can tell you supernatural things are happening in our community, in our city, lives are being changed, people are being radically born again, filled with the spirit, prophetic dreams and encounters, God is in the, on the move in our community and in the church in Atlanta in unique ways because there's a company of people that I get to be among that have said yes to him. Why did I tell you that story? Because I believe that is your story. That you guys can say yes to Jesus in such a profound way that it actually begins to change the spiritual influence of where you work, where you get educated, your family dynamics, your church dynamics, and that you guys, you guys can be carriers of the presence of God. And where's the place that you're gonna get refueled and refired to go out into a hurting, broken world and be Jesus? It's in the corporate gathering together. It's in the places where you come together. And it's not just the large corporate gathering, it's when you get together in your small groups and instead of talking about the, and. I, I like culture and I want to be culturally relevant, so I'm not bashing that, but it's like the substance of our conversations is not, is not the, the most recent sports event or the most recent song or concert we went to. Our, the substance of our conversation begins to center around heavenly realities. And we begin, to, we begin to draw on heaven because we begin to touch those things that are the true substance of all created order. Right, And I'll talk about that in a moment, but we begin to touch revelation, we begin to touch the heart of God, we begin to live for what we're created for. And when you encounter people that are like that, you notice that they're different. They don't have to explain it. 
And when you become that person that bears the unique stamp of the, the image of God, the spirit of revelation on you, and when you talk about Jesus and your eyes fill with tears because he's someone you really know, right, that's better than any apologetic or any persuasive argument because people can see the substance of that and they can say that it's real. Isn't he lovely? Isn't he captivating? Someone wrote that song who, who saw the Lord. <laughs> and my question to you guys is, are you guys just singing somebody else's revelation or have you grabbed hold of that revelation for yourself? Have you seen him? Because he is beautiful. Have you seen him? Because if you see him, let me just be real with you, you're not going to go home and look at pornography. If you, it's all right if I'm real here, right, Bunk? We can be real here. And if you're struggling in those areas, it's because you haven't really seen him. All right, I'm getting a little ahead of myself here. My name's Hazen Stevens. It's nice to meet you guys. <laughs> Bunk did a good job introducing me. So I just, got, I just felt right at home. I just got my preach on. But uh, just to say, you know, I serve, like you said, Gate City Church. We have a house of prayer at the center of our spiritual community. And we've done night and day worship and prayer. Like I said, it's been a flicker on the altar, but that incense continues to rise. And I believe that when we cause that incense to rise, that incense opens the heavens. The angel comes to Cornelius. He says, your offerings to the poor have actually risen as an incense before God. And so I've come to tell you, go get Peter. He's going to preach the gospel. Your whole family is going to get saved, right? Why? Because there was a sacrifice. In this case, it was finances. We should take up an offering. It, 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 there was incense is the point. And the incense was setting heavenly things in motion. That is who you guys are supposed to be. You're not singing songs for entertainment. You're singing songs for atmospheric shift. You're singing songs so that you get into his presence, you catch a glimpse of him, you come away changed. And just like Moses coming down off the mountain, there's a glow on your face when you talk about Jesus, right? Because you've beheld him, you're becoming like him, and that is what real discipleship is, okay? It's, it's more about delight than it is about discipline. All right, I'm gonna pray. I know I just have a few minutes to be with you guys, but I just want to download. I feel like the word, the word of the Lord is burning in my heart for you guys. And I just want, to, I want us to pray. And as we pray, can we just open our hearts to receive from the Lord, not just what he would have for you individually tonight, but what he would have for you guys together. And as you pray, could you care as much about what God would give the crew as he would give to you? Didn't mean for that to rhyme but I do rhyme from time to time. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, I thank you uh, that I just sense that, that we're here by divine appointment and that there's something that you want to deposit in this gathering in 2022 that is going to be catalytic to what you're going to do in 2023. And I thank you, Lord, that there are weak but willing vessels in this room. If you're a weak but willing vessel, just lift your hands before the Lord. Lord, we're weak and willing vessels, but that's the only kind you use. So God, would you touch people in this very room tonight? Would you mark them with a vision for mature love? Would you pour your spirit out? Let it not be hype. Let it be Holy Spirit power and presence in this place, God. Something real, something substantial, something from the God of the universe. I believe that you are here with us. I believe that you are here to touch hearts. 
and to come behind my weak words and give something that can bear real spiritual fruit in people's lives. So do that tonight in us. In the we of this gathering, Lord, us together, God, meet us tonight. Lord, as people pray for one another, meet them tonight. As they receive prayer, meet them tonight. As they cry out to you, as they cry out even in their hearts to you right now, Lord. As people's spirits are being stirred, God, to cry out for a greater encounter and a greater deposit of your purpose, Lord. We're coming to receive. We make a commitment tonight. We want to receive that we might pour out, God. So we're going to use whatever you give us tonight at the expense of our time, energy, and reputation. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I have been uh, in Korea recently, which was a lot of fun. It was an unexpected trip. A friend invited me, and I, I went there for the very first time. And I was there, and I, I went up for a missions conference and, uh, and I told people that, and it sounded like I was going to suffer for Jesus, but really I went on basically a really nice vacation. It was awesome. And I went to the Hawaii. I was like, there was a place called Jeju, and they were like the missions conference in Jeju, and I was like looking up Jeju, and it was like the Hawaii of South Korea. I was like, praise God. <laughs> And so I go to this beautiful place in South Korea, and I go for a walk with the Lord, like on the second or third day. And I hadn't really been encountered in the sessions necessarily. I mean, I'd met some good people, and I'd had some good times with the Lord. But I just felt like, God, you sent me halfway around the world to go to this missions conference. And I was just walking with the Lord, and I said, Lord, why am I here? And I meant like, why am I here in Jeju, South Korea? But I felt like the Lord actually spoke to me to the existential, why am I here question. You know how sometimes you ask God a question, you get a way bigger answer than you were bargaining for. And I said, why am I here? And you know what the Lord said to me? He said, you're here because I love you. I said like, here in the Hawaii of South Korea because you love me? And he was like, yes. Like, I wanted to bless you and give you an incredible experience. Man, I swam in the Pacific Ocean. I ran around with horses on this. It was awesome. My poor wife was at home with all four kids. She's like, what are you doing? I was like, Lord loves me. He sent me to South Korea. <laughs> but, you know, a lot of times we, we associate what it means to be a disciple with sacrifice. And truly, that is what we're called to as disciples. We lose our life in him that we might truly find real life, right? I mean, there is no question, like, there truly is no altar of worship without sacrifice, right? And we are those living sacrifices. I want to challenge you that if you love Jesus, give everything for him. And I'll talk a little more about that in a moment. But in the process, a lot of times, of giving everything for Jesus, we can lose sight of what empowered him to give everything for us. And can I tell you, what caused Jesus to give everything so that he could have a relationship with you was not obligation. It was not fear of disobedience. Jesus never was afraid of going to hell. He didn't serve God because he was afraid of going to hell. Jesus obeyed the Father because he loved the Father. Jesus gave his life on the cross. The most extravagant act of devotion and commitment and sacrifice, and he did that. Somebody tell me why Jesus did that. Because he loved you, 
and he loved the Father. And a lot of times in the process of being a disciple, we lose sight of, the, of what's going to fuel transformation in your life. It sounds self-centered, and our generation is so narcissistic and distorted, and the enemy wants to so contaminate our view of this powerful word, love, that we tend to associate it more with the Hollywood version than the Bible version, okay? But when I'm talking about cruciform love, the love that was displayed openly on the cross, the kind of love that has allowed itself to be stripped bare, entirely vulnerable, where there should have been a crown of thorn, uh, where there should have been a crown of gold, there was a crown of thorns, where he should have been adorned in royal robes, he was stripped naked and bare, where there should have been kisses on his cheek, they were slapping and spitting, right? Like this one whom people should have kneeled before in honor, he's mocked. And he does all that for the sake of love, so that now all of heaven sings to that man, worthy are you to receive all glory, honor, power, dominion, because you were slain. Do you know in the book of Revelation, in Revelation chapter 1, verse 4, John, the beloved disciple, is introducing us to this one who is the revelation of Jesus Christ, is the name of the book, right? And he's giving an introduction, and we were singing part of it earlier. I was like, oh, that's cool. It says in Revelation 1-4, to him who loved us and freed us from our sins, who's made us kings and priests to minister to his God and Father. See, you have an eternal identity. You have an eternal calling that you are going to minister to God forever because there's someone who's freed you from your sins. But as John is introducing you to that cosmic God of the universe whose father you're going to eternally serve, the thing he wants you to know very first, point number one, is the one who has freed you from your sins did it because he loves you. Because he wanted to have a relationship with you. And that's why the gospel is good news. Is you're not serving someone in the scripture, oftentimes Baal was the one that they worshiped instead of Yahweh, the God of Israel. Do you know what Baal means? It means master. You're not serving master anymore. Though he is Lord, you're not serving master. You're serving father and friend and one who wants to know you more intimately than any. He, he does know you more intimately than any other person. And I think for those of us who would say, I want to sacrifice everything for Jesus. I mean, who here would say, I want to want to be radical for Jesus, at least. We can put a want to want to, right? Like, I want to want to be radical. Even if I know in my heart there are things weighing me down. There are places of shame, dullness, places where I don't even feel like I can approach God. Places where I feel like I live at a distance from him. Maybe I'm not even sure that he's real. I'm dealing with depression. I'm dealing with self-harm. I work with college students. I know that that's in this room. I know that history of sexual abuse is in this room. I know that history of physical abuse is in this room. And I know all those things have distorted your image of yourself and the image of God. But there is one who loves you, who wants to set those places straight in your life. And guess what? They're not going to get, get set by you trying harder. That's not the invitation of the gospel. The invitation of the gospel is to come to the only one who loved you enough to give his life for you. And he's not master, he calls you friend. He calls you friend and he invites you to come and his arms are stretched open and nailed wide. That's how big the invitation is to you today. 
And for those of you, I, there are some of you in this room, you're living, you know you're living compromised. Do you know what's gonna heal those places of compromise in your heart? It's knowing that he loves you 100% in your compromise. It's the story of the prodigal son, right? He's in a distant land eating pig slop, and he says, well, the servants in my father's house, at least they're well-fed, so if I go home, maybe he'll make me a servant in my house, in his household. And it says, while the father saw him a long way off, he runs to meet him, falls upon him weeping. The son begins his spiel, and he begins to say, Father, uh, I, 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 know that I, I know that I have failed you, but, but would you let me be a servant in your house? And he doesn't even answer the young man's comment. He speaks to his other servant. He says, get shoes for his feet, get a, get a robe for him, restore his inheritance, put the signet ring on him. My son who is dead is now alive, and it's right that we would kill the fatted calf. And they celebrate. Some of you are in that exact spot. You're living in compromise. Do you know how the Father wants to bring you home? With arms wide open. He wants to run out to meet you. He wants to give you the kisses on your cheek you don't think you deserve. He wants to look at you with tears in his eyes and compassion that you don't think you deserve. And he wants to meet you with that kind of extravagant love. There's some of you in this room that you've been faithful, trying hard, and you're still unsure that God loves you. You do your tog. You know what a tog is? They taught me this in... Uh, the Baptist church I went to when I was growing up, it's your time alone with God. You've been doing your talk every day. You've been filling out those Bible verses. You've been saying your prayers faithfully, but your heart lives at a distance from God because you're trying to earn your way through a door that's only ever been open to you. And you're the elder brother working out in the field. And when you see God's extravagance towards the prodigal son, you'd say, God, why, why haven't you loved me like that? Why haven't you encountered me like that? And you, oh, trying to earn your way back into it. What's the Father say to you today? All that I have is yours and I am ever with you. You've been living devoted to God and you want to be more radical for him? You need to open your heart to his love. You need to, do you know both of them were living outside the Father's house? One in the field <laughs> and the other in a faraway land. But the invitation to both is the same. Come into the Father's house. And who's the one inviting you? The only brother who actually knows what it is to live in the Father's house. Jesus Christ himself. The one who lived in constant communion with God. The only time he was separated was when God forsook him on that cross for your sake. So the invitation to you in this room, whether you're distant or whether you're a little overly devoted to your disciplines, is to come into that embrace of love because that's the true invitation of what it means to be a disciple. I have a few verses and then I'm gonna invite us into a time of prayer. So I wanna challenge us. I've walked with Jesus. I had a head knowledge of Jesus like went to Sunday school, got baptized when I was 13, grew up in a very religious environment, went to an Episcopal school, was a, actually an acolyte. So I'd carry the cross down the aisles during our Wednesday services and you know, wore the vestments and took communion and I clogged in the, yes, that's right, I clogged in the church Christmas pageant, <laughs> okay? Somebody knows what I'm talking about. I got a fellow Dutch clogger in here, you know. It, the, 
My point is you can be steeped in a religious environment but have no revelation of the Father's love. And when I was in my 20s, I began to have encounters. And you know when I encountered God was when I was at my lowest place and I began to cry out to him. And he began to speak to my heart and I realized, oh, time alone with God is not time alone with the Bible. Yes, we should read our Bibles. But the Bible is a a means by which I'm meant to encounter you, right? It's not a means by which I'm meant to earn relationship and right standing with you because your Bible can't give you right standing with Jesus, right? When you appear before God, it's gonna be the blood of Jesus' sacrifice that gives to him who loves you and washed you from your sins. How did he wash you? In, your, in his blood, with his, the life of Christ. His life for your life is what gives you that divine exchange and makes you right before God. No religious activity, which equally means that there's nothing required of you to get right with him, no matter how far away you are. That's offensive, but it's true. You can run into the Father's house with pig slop still all over you. Smelling stinky, smelling like the world. Anybody who's spending time out there knows it's rough out there, right? And what happens is when we get the stink of the world on us, we think we're unfit for the Father's house. I love that he says, put a robe on him, but he doesn't say give him a bath, (laughs) right? You can't clean yourself up before God. Only God can make you fit for God. And it actually takes humility to receive that, right? Because we want to do it ourselves. None of y'all can do it. I couldn't do it. I couldn't make myself fit for God. So God had to completely break me down to the point that I was so sure that I was poor in spirit so I could actually receive the kingdom of God. And the more poor you realize you are, The more unfit you realize you are, the more qualified you become in heart, the more humble you become in heart and a greater measure of grace that you'll receive. And I think that's a real invitation for people in this room. There's a breaking free of religion that God wants to do in people's hearts and there's a breaking free of corruption. And I think both, the corruption of the world and the bondage of religion is something God wants to desperately deliver this generation from so that you guys can step into something real like an unashamed encounter with God in his presence where you would go, I know who I am and I know who God is. So I was going somewhere with that story. So I began to experience God in this way that really changed my life. I began to experience his voice and now I've been serving the Lord for, for over 17 years since I was in my early 20s. I'm 38 now. <laughs> Four deep in kids, 15 years in marriage, Right? And what I have to, see what religion does is religion wears you down over time so that you can't do what you did before. But what real intimacy with Jesus does is it causes you to mature in love towards God as you walk with him. And I've seen people that started out with me on this journey get tired along the way and they lost heart and they quit. And as I'm talking to a room full of probably majority, who who in here is under 30? Just raise your hand real quick. Okay, majority of you guys under 30 in this room. Good for y'all. So as I'm talking to a room full of under 30, right, that means most of y'all don't have babies. Most of y'all probably aren't married, right? There might be a few in the room. Woo. Where you at? Married? Yeah, okay, good for y'all. <laughs> Are you married without kids or married with kids? No kids? Oh, don't talk to me. Y'all don't know. 
that's the best, y'all, that's the best time. That's walk around your house in your underwear kind of season of life. So I'll get my, I'll get back. Well, I don't want to, I'm sorry for that image. I apologize. We'll go back. Bunk, please have me back. Okay. <laughs> we'll go back. For that. So the, so when you're in your 20s, it's like, it's easy to go, I'm going to give everything for Jesus. Ah, you go to the conference, you know, and I'm about the conference. Encounter Jesus, like encounter him, right? But I go, what's the vision for your life that you would be more passionate for Jesus when you're four deep in kids or three deep in kids, right? And you've had the same job for 10 years, but you're serving him faithfully even through the disappointments of life. We suffered two miscarriages between my daughter's 11 and then her next youngest sibling is eight years old, okay? And people say, oh, why is there such a gap in age? Well, it's because we had two miscarriages between, between my oldest daughter next in age. And, uh, and God even spoke to us some about those children. And then we had to grapple with what did it, what did it mean when we lost those babies and it's easy to believe God's good when you're on Jeju Island in South Korea, right? But what does it look like to believe God is good when you've gone through a little bit of life and you've suffered some disappointments and it's not so easy to sing, you are good, you are good, <laughs> and your love endures, you know, when the songs don't match the, the moment of your experience. When you've actually gone out, left the father's house for a minute, gone out into the world, had a rough time, and you're not so sure you're welcome back. Like, what is it like to come home in that moment? And our vision for loving God, I, I would just encourage you to begin to think, what do I want it to be like when I'm, when I'm married with kids? What do I want it to be like when I'm 40 or 50 years old? What do I want my relationship to be like with Jesus in maturity, in the mature seasons of my life? I'll tell you what John the Apostle, he, he lived the longest life of any of the apostles. Okay, we don't actually know how he passed away. Might still be alive. So, so John, he came, when he's writing his gospel account, he constantly references himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. It says that in, find the verse here for you. And I'm sorry to my projection people, I'm not using any of the verses I gave y'all. John 13, 23. This is when they're at the final supper with Jesus. They're all about to go out and betray him. And Peter is sitting next to Jesus and John is sitting next to Jesus. And John says in his own gospel, he refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loves. And actually says it's then that he reclines and puts his head upon Jesus' chest, right? And he's recounting his, his last night with Jesus in Jesus' earthly body. And he's remembering that moment he's writing about it and he's referring to himself as the disciple, not the disciple who loved Jesus, but the disciple who Jesus loved. This is the one who says later, to him who loved us and washed us, right? This guy had such, this man of God had such a revelation of not just who Jesus was to him, but who he was to Jesus. And in the waning years of his life, this man who encountered him as someone who's probably in his early 20s, is, they estimate that that was likely, if Jesus was 33, it was unlikely that his disciples were older than him, they were likely younger than him which means that his disciples were probably in their 20s. And these guys that started following him in their 20s, 
11 of the 12 of them, with the exception of Judas, so 10 of the 12 of them, would lose their life as martyrs. And John, who would grow into his old age, he would write his gospel account. And what would he say about himself in those waning years? I'm the disciple that Jesus loved. He grew in mature intimacy with Jesus so that his passion was just as great in his later years as it was in his former, through hardship, through difficulty, through disappointment. And I want to tell you, that's not just for John, that's for you. But it starts with a heart-level commitment to go, I'm going to make the love of God the chief pursuit of my life. And that is not cliché. Paul the Apostle in Ephesians 3, 14 through 17, he writes, he says, he says, root me and ground me in love that I might comprehend. He's praying for, actually for the Ephesian church. So he says, root and ground you in love. This is what I pray. I bow my knee before the Father from whom all of heaven and earth is named that, that uh, you'd be strengthened with might according to his spirit and in your inner man and that you being rooted and grounded in love might comprehend with all the saints what is the length, the width, the depth, the height to know the love of Christ that passes all knowledge that you might be filled to the fullness of God. People love that phrase, the fullness of God. Hallelujah. I love the phrase, the fullness of God. I want the fullness of God. I want the fullness of God's glory. I want the manifest presence of God to rain down in this place in such a substantial way that, the, that you as the priest could not get up off the floor in Jesus' name. Like that we would experience God's glory in such a manner. But a lot of times we try and take that idea of fullness out of the context in which it was spoken. And the path to fullness is never separated from love. When God appears to Moses and displays, Moses says, Lord, show me your glory, right? God shows up and the, he says, you can't even see the full-on experience or it will kill you, Moses. So I'm just going to let you see the back. I'm just going to let you see the trailing, diminishing glory. And as Moses sees it, God passes before him and says, I am the Lord God, gracious, compassionate, abounding in what? Loving kindness. It's my second daughter's name, Kesed, because the word means so much to me. It means God's faithful, covenantal love. And yes, God is glorious, but his glory is never intended to be separated from the depth of his nature, which is love. Covenantal love. Love that is rooted in his commitment to you, even above your commitment to him. So I'm just going to close with this thought, and then I'm going to pray for you guys. We're going to pray together, okay? What Paul prays in Ephesians 3 we should never graduate from that prayer. What John experienced when Jesus said, come follow me and became the disciple whom Jesus loved and he carried that identity onto his latter years, we will never graduate from that. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 13, if I have all knowledge and all wisdom, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, it says, I am nothing, I have nothing. If I give my body to be burned as a martyr, that has the appearance of the highest level of religious sacrifice. But even radicalized Muslims will give their life for, the, for a distorted faith. I can give my life to be burned. I can give all my money to the poor. But if I don't have genuine love in my heart for God, it says that that is worth nothing. But yet we prioritize all these other things over the love of God. It's not, when you go, well, I need to figure out what my calling is, most people are actually talking about their assignment. And you should be concerned about your assignment. We want to fulfill the will of God. Let's figure out what our assignment is, right? We should figure out our assignment in God. But we never should prioritize our assignment over our intimacy with God. That's how you become a Martha instead of a Mary. Martha was about her assignment. Mary was about a person.
She sat at his feet and she heard his words, right? That's the difference between religion and relationship with God. We'll preach it, but I'm inviting guys, embrace it and live it and go, you know what? I can do my chief mission in life no matter where you put me because the chief mission in my life is to love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength and to be loved by him. And guys, I know that sounds so simple, right? But who is doing it in the American church? And do you know why we're, we're not doing it in the American church? Can I just be real with y'all? Because we want to serve two masters, and the Bible says you can't serve money and you serve God. We want to feast and we don't want to fast, right? We want to Facebook, we don't want to pray, right? We want to be comfortable and we'll go, Jesus, send me anywhere, but, and he'll put his finger on the one thing you don't want to do. And he'll say that's, <laughs> right? And we, we have unprecedented comfort in all of human history and we mostly are feeding on that comfort to remain as safe, as beautiful, as uh, filled with pleasure as we possibly can. And you know what? God gives food that we might enjoy it, okay? God, God doesn't hate those things. He wants you. He wants you to have a good family. He wants you to have health. He wants you to have, but he doesn't want you to grab hold of those things and hold on to them at the expense of intimacy with him. And that's honestly where I think the American church is, is not that, is that the blessing that God has given us as a church, we've embraced, we've embraced his hand over his face. We've embraced his blessing over the blesser. And you, I, I'll go on college campuses and do evangelism. And people go, I'm gonna serve God once I've had my fun. I'm gonna serve God uh, once I get the good job and I have my family, you know, sorted out. That's when I'll start to go to church. Now, I'm preaching to the choir. Y'all are here on a Tuesday night because I believe probably all of you want to serve God, right? But what's the manner in which you're going to serve him? Are you going to serve him with caveats? Are you going to serve him with half-heartedness? Or are you going to serve him in abandoned radical love? And you can't push your way into abandoned radical love. But what you can do is get before God and say, Lord, here I am. Here I am, by the spirit of revelation, mark my heart. I can't make my, I can't stir up one ounce more of love in my heart for you. But if you'll just let me see you, if you'll let me see the marks of love on your hands, if you'll let me see the marks of, the marks of love on your back, if you'll let me see the marks of love on your feet, you will begin to be compelled by a revelation of this man who loved you more than any other human being ever loved you. He's real. He's real. Revelation 1 says he walks among the lampstands. That means he's in the midst of the church. It says he holds the seven stars in his hand. Isaiah 40 talks about the God who calls the starry hosts out by name and not one of them is missing. The cosmic God of the universe who spoke and flung billions of stars into existence and chose this speck of dust to put the ones who bear his image uniquely and then formed you, knit you together in your mother's womb. And by some grace of God, you stumbled through this life and you found him and you found your way into a community of believers and you are bearing his mark and you have his glory on the inside of you. And that cosmic God of the universe who is uncreated, who formed and fashioned you, he's called you into a love relationship with himself. He loves me? Yeah, that's why we're here, guys. Because he loves you. It, it becomes so simple, we almost miss it. 
because you have to make yourself like a little child to receive it. But he loves you. He loves you more than you can comprehend. He loves you more than the length, the width, the depth, the height of the whole cosmic universe. He loves you more than my weak words can convey. He loves you. God so loved the world. That is infinitely deep, though it's only four or five words long. And if we will get a vision, God, Mark, take up Ephesians 3.14 and become a community that goes, we want to be wrecked by love. We want to be, so, just God, just hit me with the wrecking ball of your love and let Everything in my life just scatter to the wind. Like, Lord, I want nothing else but the love of, of Jesus burning in my heart, no matter what it takes, no matter what it might cost me to my reputation, my time, my comfort. I want Jesus, and I want him until I become the disciple whom Jesus loves. Like, I want him until this flame grows into a bonfire, grows into a forest fire until my whole life is consumed and people go, tell me where your beloved is, this one whom your soul yearns for. Like, show me where he is because I, I see in your eyes that he's real. The reason I'm in the ministry that I'm in is because I went and had Waffle House with my friend when I was about 21 years old. And he talked about Jesus as a bridegroom in a way that I'd never heard anybody talk about Jesus. And in that one conversation, I received the call of God. And do you know what the call of God was for my life? It wasn't, Lord, I want to go and be an intercessory missionary or a pastor. Or I want to go and I want to go be an executive pastor. Or I want to be a worship leader. All things that I've legitimately done. What I received in that moment was, God, I want to know you like this guy who talks about you in a way like nobody else ever had. I want to know you in that way. And if going and singing in a prayer room equals that for me, or going to the mission field, or going to the market, but whatever area of invitation and obedience you're called to, right, if, if it's like that's plunging me headlong into intimacy with you, that's where I want to be. I want to be in the place where it's like I get to know God as the chief, the chief purpose of my existence, and not only know, know him, like rationally know him, but know him in the deepest way that he longs to be known, which is a love relationship. A love relationship with God. Think of that person right now, and we'll close here. Just close your eyes. Think of that person in your life that you know, that you, I hope everyone in this room has someone. You most know that this person loves you. Maybe it's your mom, maybe it's your dad, maybe it's your best friend. Now imagine that person is but one millionth of the love and delight that God truly has for you. It's a drop in the bucket. That person who might actually lay their life down for you what moves in the heart of Jesus towards you is a million times stronger than what would ever move in that human being's heart. And you don't have to live distant from that love. You can live close to that love. You can live experiencing the length, the width, the depth, the height. You can live confident in that love. You can live without shame. You can live without addiction. You can live with purpose. You can live satisfied in every situation in life and you don't have to be afraid of discomfort. You don't have to be afraid of lack. 
You don't have to be afraid of any of the challenges of life because his love is strong enough. Because his love is real enough. So whether in the highs or the lows, you can have something in your heart burning that will, will be undiminished when you're 70 years old. And it is a passionate love relationship with Jesus. And my prayer for you tonight, young people, is that that would be a vision that God would emblazon on your heart. That to whatever degree, whatever spiritual condition you're in in this room, that, that decades from now when you're looking back on a life well lived for God, that you would love him more than you love him today. That your love wouldn't grow cold. that you'd be a friend of God all your days till you see him face to face. Some of you need to meet with God tonight. And I wanna facilitate that. If you'd say, hey, tonight, like the things I just said, you feel that stirring to meet with God. And in order to activate that, you know you need to come up here. You need to kneel in this altar and you need to get face down before the Lord. Some of you need to come out of compromise and some of you need to lay down your own effort. Some of you in this room, you're just burning as I'm speaking. You're going, this is, I'm made to know God's love and I want to be encountered with his love. Wherever you are in that spectrum, this altar is open to you and I believe God is going to meet you as you do the simple act of faith. You know, sometimes we position ourselves to receive and it's not about me having a good altar call, okay? I could care less, truly. It's about me helping you receive by going, sometimes actually the son had to get up out of the pig slop and take a step towards the father's house. And as he took a step towards the father's house, the father ran to meet him. Some of you in this room, you need to take a step towards the father's house. And what that looks like for you is to come down to this altar and say, daddy, here I am. So if you need to do that tonight, you can come, you can come right now. So just get up, let's all stand up together. And if you know you need to come down, just come. Who cares who's looking? They're not going to be with you at the judgment seat of Christ. If you know you need to get right with God or you are just burning for a love encounter with him, just come. Just come in simple faith. Just come. The Father's house is wide open to you. The rest of you who are here, just begin to reach your hands out. Just begin to pray. Let's 100% engage with God in this room right now. Lord, I just ask you right now, just release encounter in this room. Release the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. I pray right now, Lord, for those in this room, Lord, that are dealing with a pornography addiction. I pray deliverance right now in the name of Jesus. I pray, Father, that the love of God would come and deliver them. To lift their eyes to a higher beauty and a higher fascination. God, I pray for those that are dealing with shame. Shame of addiction. Shame of self-harm. Shame of depression. God, I pray right now a revelation of the beauty of God would break forth in their soul and in their inner person. They would see this one whose arms are outstretched in love towards them. God, I pray release a love encounter to their hearts. To him who loved you and freed you from your sins. To him who loved you and washed you from your sins. To him who loves you like no other person you know. He loves you like no other human being. 
Jesus weeps for where your father failed you. Your natural father failed you. Your natural father spoke word curses over you. And your own heart is carrying shame. And it's hard to believe that the Father in heaven is good. But he's visiting your heart right now and he's saying, I love you. You are my son. You are my daughter. All my delight is in you. He's releasing the love encounter of the Father to your heart. My daughter, I love you. I'm safe. We can be a mess. We can be messy. Jesus will meet us in our mess. Lord knows I'm a mess. I'm a messy, messy person. I have struggles. I struggle. I struggle with anger. I struggle with lust. I struggle with impatience. But it's not too big for God. Nothing in your life is too big for his love today. Just begin to release that love that's greater right now in each and every person's heart. Just in your own heart, let desperation for him grow. Let it cry for him. Begin to break out in your heart. Just begin to, from your heart, begin to go, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I want to encounter you. I want to encounter the love of God. 